that uh, the Lord's laid on my heart. Uh, I'm thankful that somebody came alongside and shared with me the gospel. And I was blessed because I grew up in a Christian home. I have parents who got saved before I was born. Now, they were first-generation Christians. I'm a second-generation Christian. They grew up in homes that didn't go to church and didn't read the Bible and didn't pray, and, and they had their problems. And listen, our, our family had problems, too. We were, none of us are perfect. I am thankful, though, that they took me to church. I'm thankful that I heard the gospel from the time I was born. Literally, the first Sunday I was, after I was born, I was in church. And they took me every single Sunday, and many times on Wednesday. In fact, most of the time on Wednesday. I went to Awana. I went to Christian school. Man, I spent more time in church, I think, then than, than most people do in, in their entire lives. I didn't get saved until I was 15. But that's because I didn't understand. The Spirit hadn't opened my eyes to the truth. I made a profession early. And, but I am thankful that, that they loved me enough that they, that they took me to church, that they shared the gospel with me, that they put me in an environment where, where I could hear it. And I heard it. And praise God, I got saved. At 15, I came to Christ, because not just because of them. It wasn't just my parents. I had school teachers that shared the gospel with me. I had a pastor who shared the gospel with me. I had, I had uh, uh, speakers at camp. I got saved at a Christian camp uh, uh, one summer when I was 15 years old in Michigan, of all places. I'm just kidding. I'm from Ohio. Ohio and Michigan have this thing. And every time Brother Mark Thren comes in, I give him a hard time because he's from Michigan. But anyways, I got saved in Michigan and at this Christian camp, and I'm thankful there were men there that preached the gospel. And that when the Spirit did speak to me, I, I heard it, I understood it, and I was convicted of my sin, and I, I trusted the promises of the Word of God, and I got saved. But it isn't like that for everybody. There are homes today where, where the name of Jesus isn't spoken unless it's a curse word. Today, uh, if, if, if you turn on the television, you're not going to find Billy Graham preaching. Uh, uh, you may find some kind of weird doctrine out there. There's a whole lot of that. But people aren't growing and uh, people aren't hearing the word of God preached. The number of people that go to church, uh, not, just those that are, not just those that are saved, the number of people that go to church, even believe that there is a God, is decreasing. And the number of people that deny that there is any God are increasing. I do not believe that that's because there's a, lot, a lack of power in the gospel. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. That gospel saved me, it can save you, and listen, it's still saving people today. But is it saving all that it could? Now we know the word of God says that, that he would have all men come unto him. It's God's desire that everybody be saved. And we know that he could snap his fingers if he wanted because he is a sovereign God and able to do, and able to do anything he wants within his nature. He could make it happen. But God has chosen to use mankind. Not just mankind, but those that are saved. To go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. With 12 men, 
well, 11 men that, that were with Jesus and one more who was added on later, the apostles, and then Paul. The Bible says that the whole world was turned upside down with 12. Peter preached and 3,000 people got saved. We talked about Saul who later became Paul in Sunday school this morning. And, and at the beginning of his life, it was something that was interesting. He, he preached right after he got saved, not at the beginning of his life, but the beginning of his Christian life. He preached uh, in, in Damascus, and they wanted to kill him. But do you know what it doesn't say? Anybody got saved. Then he went and he preached in Jerusalem, and, and, and uh, they wanted to kill him too. And nobody got saved. See, we can get out there, and there are a lot of people out there that are beating their drums and making a lot of noise. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I have not charity, my words are like sounding brass. I don't have any symbols up here, right? Symbols, uh, sounding brass is that loud noise that nobody wants to hear. It's like when your kids got, got into the wooden spoons and the, the pots and pans. And bang, 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 bang. You don't want to hear it and you want, it and you want to get rid of it. I want to remind us this morning, listen, I don't think there's anybody here that doesn't want to see people saved. Right? If you're saved, the Bible says there should be the love of God in us. I believe I, I really appreciated Brother Donnie's message while we were while we were uh, gone. Uh, there is a an urgency, a need. We need to do something. We need to do it. We need to do it now. And we need to do it right. And we can't do it in and of ourselves. Because if we do, we'll be like Paul, or Saul before he became Paul, and we'll beat our drums or our sounding brass cymbals and. We'll feel good about ourselves because we're preaching the right message. Saul did that, but nobody will get saved because we don't do it correctly. Here in this passage, it says in verse 35, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Man, I'm so thankful that Christ, when he came to this earth, uh, man, he had a love for people. It says he went everywhere. He went to all the cities. Now, he didn't travel all around the world, uh, but he traveled uh, in, in all of those cities of, of, of Israel and, and was going from city to city, preaching the kingdom of God. And he had compassion upon the people because it says that, that, that he healed all the diseases. He, uh, he, he was working miracle after miracle. But we know that he didn't come to, to work miracles. Those miracles were to show the people that what he was saying was true. They were signs. Uh, it says when he made the water into wine that he did it so that the disciples would believe on him. When, when he calmed the winds and the waves of the, in, in the, uh, there in Luca and, and, uh, uh, so, so that the ship wouldn't sink when the disciples cried out to him, uh, he did it so that they would believe him, so that they would, their faith would grow. Uh, there, was, there was a reason why he did all those things, but the Bible tells us that he did this. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. When, when he was a little boy, from the very beginning, uh, he, he came with a purpose. Uh, if you remember, it says when he was 12 years old, uh, uh, he got uh, separated from his parents uh, in, this, in, 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 in Jerusalem. And they were traveling back, and they forgot, that they forgot him. They, they misplaced him. And he was right where the Father wanted him to be. He was in the temple. He was, he was speaking to the, to, to the teachers, and they, they were marveling at his understanding. They were marveling at, at, at what, that a 12-year-old boy could, could understand and know and say the things that he was saying. 
when his family, when his mother came and mother and father came, Mary and Joseph, they came and approached him. He says, he says, I must be about my father's business. In John chapter 4, when the disciples uh, go into the city there of Sychar and they leave Jesus uh, weary sitting on the, on the edge of the well, uh, they went in to get food and Jesus went there to talk to a woman. When they came back, they, they asked him if he wanted something to eat and he said, I have meat that you know not of. And then he went on to, uh, to, to say, my meat is to do the will of the Father and to finish his work. In John chapter 17, he says, I have finished my work. Now, we know that the work of atonement wasn't finished until he died on the cross for our sins. But, but he, his, his desire, his, his, the work of the Father in his life, or the Father wanted Jesus to do, was, was that of seeking and saving that which was lost. And that work, that desire of the Father, and that work of Christ still goes on today. It should go on in the lives of, of every believer. The last thing that Jesus said before he ascended up into heaven, the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, he says, he says after that the, ghost will come, the, the Holy Ghost will come upon you, and ye shall be my witnesses. God's desire is for us to go and tell others. Now, again, I don't think that there's anybody here that doesn't want to see people saved. We would all rejoice if somebody got saved this morning. Amen? The Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven. But sometimes, sometimes, our vision gets kind of messed up. I had I had some issues with my 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 I had some issues with my blood sugar uh, over the last couple of months. And praise the Lord, it's better. Um, but uh, my blood sugar went up to t- my A1C, which is a reading of your blood sugar over the last three months, went up to twelve point five, which six is normal, and it was way too high. And I I can remember going into the doctors and then giving me that number, and I was like, wow, that's not good. And then the next morning, I got up, and I sat down to read my Bible, and I, I sat there, and I couldn't see it. I could see my Bible, and I could see the words, but they were just a blur. Because your, my diabetic, my blood sugar, had affected my vision. Blood sugar affects everything, by the way. Now, praise the Lord, that over, over a period of four months, it's down back to 6.3. Uh, this week, they're actually taking me off some of the medications. All the glory to God. Vision's getting better. But sometimes we're like I was trying to read my Bible. We, we, we see it. We, see, we know there's a need. We know that there are people that need to be saved. But we go to the grocery store. Instead of, seeing, instead of what we're supposed to see, we see the lines instead of the people. We see a cashier that we have to give our money to instead of a... a 22-year-old who's struggling. We see that person who looks different than, uh, you know, they got their weird, their, their hair dyed black and fingernails painted black and, and uh, piercings all over, and we see somebody we would rather avoid other than somebody whose life and their spirit is broken. We pull up at the rotary here in town, and you purposely don't make eye contact with the, 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 the panhandlers that are holding the sign because you don't want them coming up to your window and asking you for a dollar. Because they might use it for drugs or alcohol. We can justify it. Instead of seeing someone who needs Christ. 
this morning, I want to encourage you that we need to have the vision that Christ had on this day. Here, Jesus is out. He's, he's healing people. He's, 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 he's preaching the truth of the kingdom. He's very busy in all this. But I want, you, I want you to see what happens in verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. He goes on to say in the next verse, uh, talking to the disciples, then saith he unto the disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus saw the multitudes and he didn't see them like you or I might see them. He didn't, certainly didn't see the multitudes like the disciples saw them. If you remember when Jesus goes to feed the 5,000, the, the disciples are tired. They just come back from uh, preaching uh, the kingdom of heaven. They've been performing miracles. They're excited. They've just heard about John the Baptist being beheaded. They're, they're, they're physically tired, spiritually tired, emotionally. They're tired. There's a lot going on, and they're so busy. It says, it says that they don't even have time to, to eat. And Jesus said, let's go apart. And they went apart out into a desert place to be alone with Christ. And listen, there's nothing greater than being alone with Christ. But when they got there, do you know what, what happened? The multitudes figured out where they were headed, and they got there first. The Bible says this, many of them ran there. And it says when Jesus saw the multitudes, instead of going somewhere else so they could be alone, what did he do? He was moved with compassion, and he began to heal the sick, cast out demons, and do all of those things. And then... At the end of the day, after they've been doing all this, ministering to others, Jesus said, you know what? They're hungry. How are we going to feed them? <laughs> now, the disciples saw a, a burden. Right? The disciples saw these are people that they, they're hungry. We're going to have to feed them. Let's, let's get rid of them. Let's send them away. And Jesus saw people that needed ministered to It's important that we see others like Christ saw others. Jesus describes the multitude here as a harvest. Now, it's interesting when you, when, when you think about a harvest or a field full of wheat or corn that's to be harvested, you don't see necessarily the, the, the individual kernel corn or the individual kernel of wheat or even a single stalk. I grew up in farm country. Uh, back in Ohio, in, we lived in this little town called of, of uh, Augusta, actually, just outside of Augusta. And, and uh, we, we lived and we were surrounded by cornfields. They were everywhere, miles of cornfields. You, I could have shot a gun and never hit anything other than corn, uh, just because or whatever animal might be running through there. Uh, there was coins everywhere. It, it, there was a multitude of it. When Jesus saw this multitude of people, and he saw the mass of people, a sheep having no shepherd, 
Uh, he he describes, describes it as that. that. They were wandering about. They were, they were struggling uh, spiritually. They were, they were hungry. The sheep have, this, have a couple of things that are interesting about them. They, they, they have to follow the shepherd. They, 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 they'll get themselves in a whole lot of trouble. It's very dangerous for a sheep to be out by itself. They, uh, if they're left alone, you take a, a herd of sheep and you put them in a pasture and just leave them there, guess what? They're not going to leave that pasture. Even when they run out of food, they'll keep eating. They'll, they'll eat till it's down to nothing, and then they'll stay there and they'll starve. If you, if you take a sheep and it, gets, and it gets knocked over, that sheep will lay on its side until it dies because it can't, it can't get up from being upside down unless a, a shepherd comes along. So Jesus saw uh, these people, they, uh, they were, they were, spiritually they're starving, physically and, and spiritually they're broken. And, and, and listen, he saw them and they were helpless and hopeless. And the truth is, we were all helpless and hopeless at one time, were we not? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were, we were under the, 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 the dominion of Satan. We, we lived and walked as he wanted us to uh, until God opened up our eyes and we saw the truth of the gospel. Until somebody came alongside and shared with us some scripture. Until somebody told you about Jesus, who is the only answer, by the way. There is no answer in finances or money. There's no answer in just turning over a new leaf and, and being a good person. You can't do it yourself. You can't be, join some religion or some cult to, to, to get into heaven. The only way for, for us to be, for our broken hearts and broken spirits to be healed, the only way for us to be saved and us to be washed and regenerated is through the, the new birth, through being saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. But it doesn't happen without help. What's Paul say in Romans? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Say, so, well, they could read the Bible. There's Bibles everywhere. There are here in our country. But there are a lot of nations, thousands, hundreds, if not a thousand uh, tongues that it has not been translated into yet. There are people all over this world. And listen, there are people in this country that don't hold a Bible, that have never seen a Bible in their hands, and again, have never heard the name of Jesus without it being a cuss word. We should be ashamed of ourselves. The church should be ashamed of itself. Because the reason that, we are, that our country is in the position it is in is not because of the person who sits in the White House or the person who sat in the White House last time. It's because the church, those childs of, children of God, those bodies of believers that have not done what they're supposed to do. Jesus saw the multitudes. Not only did he see that multitude, but honestly, we, we, we know that Jesus was God. And, with, and, and he had, yes, he was fully man and fully God. He, he had physical eyes to see that group. But, but somehow, uh, even though he physically only saw that multitude, something tells me that he had an understanding and knew that at that time there were hundreds of thousands or even millions of people that were alive at that period of time. I don't know what the, the population of the earth was, but Jesus knew. When, when, I think, when I think about Jesus hanging on that cross, uh, there's a song that says, well, while he was on the cross, you were on his mind. That song is literally for everybody who's ever been alive. We, there are seven billion people on this earth, seven plus billion. 
That's a lot. We cannot grasp. Uh, uh, our, uh, it's, it's difficult for our minds to fully understand uh, what, 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 how much a, a, a billion is. I heard this yesterday. I thought it was amazing. So if you take a million dollars, one dollar at a time, turn it sideways, and stack them up that way, how, many, how far do you think that million dollars would go? Like 270 feet. That's a lot of $1 bills. I'd like to have that many $1 bills. I'd have a shorter stack if you gave me $5 bills. <laughs> you know how many a billion would be? How many miles that would be? 68. You multiply 68 miles. We don't have... For us to grasp the number of people there are on this earth right now, we can, we can see the number, but the magnitude of that, of that multitude of people. And the majority of them, the vast, vast majority of them are dying on their way to hell today. There are 18, around 18,000 people that live in the city of Augusta. And the vast, vast majority of the people just within the city limits are lost without Christ. But when we get in our car, we, we, we drive down the, through, through the rotary, we don't see the people in the cars, we see the traffic and the guy who just cut us off and we blow our horn at him. Okay, that's me. <laughs> we go to the grocery store and we, we see the long lines. Why don't they put more people at the register? Instead of seeing all the people that are there that are broken. On Friday... God was preparing me for this message. On Friday, I, was, I, I, I came into town, and I had to, several stops to make. And everywhere I went, I, I met people that I, that I haven't seen in years, or in a long time, anyways. There were a couple people that, that I'd seen in the last year or so, that, but they, they were there. I went into Hannaford to get a salad for lunch because I'm still eating healthy. And I'm trying to make a shortcut instead of walking past all the donuts and all the baked goods. Well, the only way to get there is to, to go to the left. And if you know Hannaford here down on McConey Street, you go to the left there, it's the alcohol stuff. But I wasn't looking to buy. I was just walking through. So, and there was a man. A man that I've known and prayed with. And a man who's been an alcoholic and struggled with that terrible, terrible demon in his life. He stood there staring. Life's not been going well. He's been struggling. Now, I could have just walked on by. I could have ignored it. He could have been just another person. But I stopped and we talked. I offered to pray with him. I'm not, I'm not here to tell you that he got right with God and everything was better. But God put me there for a reason. Because I had eyes to see and a sensitive, at that moment, a spirit sensitive to the spirit, I stopped and I talked to him. And he walked out of that place without it. He may have come back in later. I don't know. I'm not, I, I don't know what happened later. I pray the spirit of God continues to work in his heart and life and he gets right with the Lord. That day I ran into 10 people 
some I haven't seen in over 10 years. Everywhere I went, I told Jess that night, we, were, we, were, we went out, we went out after, while the kids were at club and our date night, we went to Hannaford and then we went to Sam's Club. And I walked into Hannaford and as we're walking in, there walked somebody that I used to work with. And I was like, oh, look, there's Gene. And I said, I, and then we walked to the door and there's another person. And I, I, I stopped to talk to them and I talked to the other guy and invited, invited them both to church. And we went over to Sam's Club and I said, I wonder who we're going to see here. And we saw my brother, who I haven't seen in almost a year. Now, he didn't need anything from the Lord, but I saw him. And we saw Maria. He said, hi. He said, what's the big deal? We have to have eyes to see. We have to see the people that are there. We can't get so caught up in, in, in the busyness of our lives that we forget that there are souls out there that need Christ. There are people that are struggling, whether they're saved or not. And we need, to have a, we need to have eyes like Christ did. In John chapter 4, you don't have to turn there. You remember the, you remember the account, and we already talked about it for a moment. And uh, they walked into, into town. The disciples went into town while Jesus sat on the well, and a woman from town came to the well. Do you remember? And I preached this message before, so I won't belabor this point, but the disciples must have walked by her because I'm pretty sure there wasn't too many roads to and from the well. Now, they were intent on getting food. They didn't see the woman say, hey, guess what? Go to that well. There's a guy we want you to meet. They were probably talking amongst themselves, busy with what they were doing, maybe discussing whether they were going to go to McDonald's or to Burger King. Okay, they probably didn't have that. But they were intent in what they were doing. They got into town and they, they dealt with the, those people that were in the marketplace. And they, they found somebody to so, that sell, sold some bread and maybe somebody who sold some, 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 some milk. or I don't know what they bought. I didn't, didn't see the grocery list. It's not recorded for us. But they dealt with people, did they not? Because somehow, while they were in Sychar, they found food. And they said, Jesus wants food. He's hungry. They got stuff for them, and they got stuff for Jesus, and they went back into town. Now, in the meantime, Jesus is sitting at that well, talking to the woman at the well. And uh, he sat there, he, he, and, uh, he, 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 he focused upon her, he was there for that purpose. And she, because he revealed himself as the, as, as the Messiah, talked to her of that living water, told her of all the things that she had ever done, she believed. What is it that's required for salvation? Faith. So what did she do? She's excited. In her mind, suddenly, I've got to tell everybody about this man who, uh, who, 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 who told me everything. He's got to be the Messiah. And she runs into town and a smile on her face, a whole lot happier than she was when she walked out, out, of, out of town to that well. She's excited. She probably left her pot there. She, she runs into town and walks right past those disciples. And they don't think, I wonder why she's so happy. They think, I'm going to give Jesus a sandwich. I'm going to make him the best sandwich he's ever had. And they get to Jesus and say, are you hungry, Jesus? We got some food. Jesus says, I have meat that you don't know not of. And they're like, who snuck back here and fed him? 
What's going on here? He says, my meat is to do the will of the Father. See, they, he had the vision. He saw it. He, he was there for a purpose, and, I, and we all understand that. But, but he saw her in a way that they didn't see her. In fact, later on at the end of that chapter, at the end of this account, she goes into town and she tells everybody about Jesus. And a crowd of people come out to see this man that she said that she talked about. And Jesus said, lift up your eyes. Look at the harvest. You say it's three, to, three or four months until the harvest. I tell you that it's ripe. It's white and ready to harvest. Why? Because their focus was wrong. They're focusing on temporal, temporary, earthly things instead of heavenly things. Many times we focus on the wrong things. Now Jesus saw the multitudes, but he didn't just see the number of people. He saw the value in it. When Jesus mentioned the harvest, he didn't say that it was grass. He didn't say that it was dandelions. How many of you guys are getting dandelions in your yard every year? Unless you kill them off. Brother Donnie, you spray them? You do? Uh, I've seen your yard. I've never seen a dandelion. In my yard, however, I'll see the first one pop up, and I'm like, I'm going to get that guy, and he's going to be the only one in my yard. And I mow him over. And then the next week, they're everywhere. If I had a dollar for every dandelion that ever grew in my yard, I would, well, I'd be very wealthy but they're worthless. Now, I know that they, I, I know that they have some, some value as far as some people eat them. I am not going to eat them. Right? I, I, I know that sometimes people use it for herbal medicine, and, but, but to me, they're worthless. It's a weed. If you grow a garden, guess what? The weeds are plentiful. But the harvest isn't just plentiful. The harvest is valuable. The farmer bases his life, in fact, he, 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 he finances his life based upon the harvest. Every, every, grain, of, uh, every grain of wheat, every kernel of corn is, is used either to, to feed his family or to sell or to prepare for the following year, for, for the harvest of the next year. It's valuable. Listen, Jesus saw the multitudes, and guess what? They were valuable. Valuable. So valuable, he gave his life for them. Now, sometimes we look at ourselves and think, I'm not worth anything. We have very little self, low self worth. And the truth is, in the grand scheme of things, we're not worthy. Understand what I'm saying? The value that's on us isn't in us. It's what God's value, the value God's put on us. And he gave everything. It's valuable. We're all different. You can say amen, it's okay. Some of us are quirky. Lots of us are quirky, to be honest with you. What is normal? Some of us are broken. Some of us are struggling. Some of us are, 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 are newly saved, or, or maybe some of us aren't even saved. Can I tell you, you're still valuable in the eyes of God? 
But beyond us, outside of this place, there's a value in every person you come across. Now, society will say that certain people have more value than others. God says that's not true. We're not to to lift up one group over another group. And and listen, even churches can do this. Even Christians can do this. We need to be very careful. Just because somebody dresses a certain way or their lifestyle is different than what the Bible says it should be, guess what? They're lost. If you're lost, your lifestyle is different from what the... God still loves you. And God still loves them. And we're to show them the love of God. That doesn't mean we don't preach to them the truth of the gospel and their need of salvation, but then the truth is we all needed it, did we not? We all need forgiveness. So whether they, whether they work in some office somewhere and they wear a suit to work every day and they've got money in their pocket and they drive a Porsche, whether they're sitting on the side of the road holding up a sign saying, please help me, there's value in them. Not in what they can bring to this church financially, Because whatever finances we have is not based upon your bank accounts. The finances we have is based upon the goodness and the graciousness of God. This is his church. The value they can bring to this church is that, well, God can make them valuable. Just like he did you. They are valuable because of him. He saw their their value. He also saw the danger. Never have a garden. What happens if you leave stuff in the garden? It rots. The harvest has to be harvested. It's got to be harvested. If you don't harvest it, well, the, the bugs will eat it. The animals will eat it. Or nobody will eat it. There's mold and mildew and rain and rots, and there's all kinds of things that can be dangerous to, to, our, to, to, to the crops in our gardens. The same thing for any farmer. If it's time to harvest the wheat, and he looks at the, 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 the amount of wheat that needs to be harvested, his eyes are always in the clouds because he's afraid it's going to rain. His, his, his desire is to get it and take care of it and get it done. Listen, Jesus sees and saw the danger for the harvest. There are those, there is one, and his hordes who would keep those hidden, keep those, those that should hear the gospel blinded and deaf to the gospel. One of the ways he does it is by keeping the laborers from laboring. Think about it. Jesus doesn't need men, but he uses them. That verse in Romans it goes on to say, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How can they believe, how, or how, how shall they call on whom they have not believed, and how shall they hear without a, what's that, last, that next word, anybody know? Preacher. They need somebody to preach the gospel. They need somebody to tell them the truth that God has chosen to use mankind. There's danger. There's danger in, in the fact that if it's not, the, the, it's not harvested in time even, it will go bad. We live in an aging population in this town. Look, look around us in this church. I'm 44, and I'm one of the younger people in our church. Now I'm thankful that we have children here. I, I am. 
I'm not saying everybody is as old as I am, but many of us, especially those that have been saved for a while, are older. And that's good. But a, a church needs to be a mixture of, of young and old. And what happens when, if you remember Rose Blair, one of our faithful members, has been here since the beginning, 50 years ago this year, she passed away. Maybe next year, the year after, and I'm not going to pick any names because I don't want to scare anybody. I'm not going to, somebody else passes away, and then somebody else, and somebody else. If we do not continue to bring people in by harvesting, our church will be empty. And the people outside of the church that are that age, guess what? They die. That is their last opportunity. There is a danger to it. There's an urgency upon us. Now, Jesus, Jesus talked about the, 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 uh, the harvest and, and, and how it was plenteous, but he also talks about what's needed. They're back in verse, uh, verse number 30, 37. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. God uses men. There'd be nothing worse than being a farmer and having a lot of, of harvest to bring in, but not having the laborers to get it in. You, you, you have a desire. You know its value. You, you're, 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 you, you, you want the, the, the work, the, the sweat, blood, and tears that you put into all the work that brought that up. You want to go and harvest it, but you need people to do it. Imagine you had acres and acres, and you didn't have a tractor, and you didn't have a, uh, you just have a scythe in your hand and, and a couple of sons. You say, go and do it. And listen, if you stand back and you watch them, they'll, they can work their heart out from morning to night. Break their backs. Have blisters bleeding, break and bleeding on their hands. Collapse every night, every, every night, fall into bed, get up in the morning, do the same thing. And they'll barely touch the amount of harvest there is. Now I want you to imagine God up in heaven, looking down at the seven billion people here on this earth. And there are people that are out there telling others about Jesus. There are others that are telling, and, and God is blessing their efforts, and they are fruitful in that. But, but man, he has this vast earth covered in people that need to hear the gospel. And he's got one person over here, and one over here, and one over there. And there's no way that we can win 7,000. Yes, God could do it in his sovereignty and his, and his power. But God uses people. And Jesus himself said, he, listen, listen to what he said. It says, it says there in verse 36, uh, it says, but the laborers are few. It doesn't say, that, but the laborers are few, but God doesn't need anybody. He didn't say, but, but the laborers are few, but God's just going to do it. He's going to give the power to the few to do all the work. He says, the laborers are few. Pray ye to the Lord of the harvest that he send forth more laborers into the harvest. There are missionaries that are coming off the field that are not being replaced. There are, there are countries that, that don't have the gospel message. There, there, yes, we live in, in, in the U.S., and I am thankful that we live here and, 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 and that we have freedom of religion, but churches are closing 
The number of, of those who are willing to go out and tell others about Christ are, are getting fewer and fewer. And, and, but the, the, the need for it is growing. We need to see others, see the need like Jesus saw the need. See the multitudes, see the individuals, see the, the value in that. See, see the urgency and the danger that's out there. And we need to see the lack, the need. Because it's easy to think somebody else will do it. Well, that's the preacher's job. It is. Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. That's one who goes out and, and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he didn't just give it for the apostles to do that. It's for all of us to do that. There is a need. And something that we need to understand about laborers, it's good when they work hard. If you have a business or you're a boss of, of, of somebody that works under you, maybe a supervisor, you appreciate those that work hard, that aren't lazy. They, they come into work and they put their focus in and they, 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 they spend their time doing what they're supposed to do. You wouldn't want somebody to, to come work for you and help you to harvest if they only come they come in late and they only come in once in a while and they're, really th they're on their phones the whole time and... Right? You wouldn't like that. As a boss, you'd be like, hey, come on. There's work to be done. You appreciate those who put in the work. And listen, it takes real work. It does. It is not easy. There is seed to be sown. There is the ground to be prepared. There is, there is much. Now, we understand that the work of salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. But God uses people. There is work. There is brain work. Study to show thyself approved in God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You can't just pretend like your testimony will always do it. You need to be prepared. The Bible says we need to be ready to give an answer to, to every man or any man who asketh the reason of the hope that is within you. Brain work, heart work. He that goeth forth bearing, weeping, bearing precious seed. Heart work. We're to pray for the lost. We're to, we're, to, we're to desire their salvation. We're to put our heart and soul into it. We need to be willing to go to the wheat. You can't, you can't harvest wheat from the sidelines. You have to go into the field, right? This does not work. Here, weedy, 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 weedy. Come on, weedy, weedy, weedy. Come over here. Come over here, weedy, weedy, weedy. Right here. Nice place right next to me. Come on over here. Guess what? It is not going to gather itself. You have to go down in the wheat and use your scythe and cut and harvest. We need to be among the people. Jesus was among the people. He, he ate with the sinners and publicans. He, uh, uh, he, he, he spent time with people of all walks of life. If you don't go, you can't tell. It requires us to get in with the people. Somebody shared, somebody shared it with me once, and somebody shared the gospel with you once. 
We need to be willing to go. We need to be equipped to reap the wheat. You ever tried to cut something with a dull knife? You can't. You might cut yourself, but you're not going to cut cut anything else. If, if you try to go cut cut down the wheat and you're using a a dull uh, a, a dull scythe, you'll knock it down. You'll bruise it. You might even break it. But you're not going to go and and be able to cut it and gather it like you're supposed to. Our sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. We need to be prepared. Too many times some of the spiritual harvest is is broken or beaten down by the, the teaching or the preaching of Christians who major on one specific sin versus the sinfulness of man and the redemption work of Christ. Men like George Whitfield and Charles Spurgeon and D.L. Moody, they did not water down the gospel. They preached sin, judgment, and Christ. The gospel still works today. And there are those that would water it down so that others... I, I, I listened to a, 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 an interview of, uh, of uh, what's his name, Olstein. And they asked him, is Jesus the only way to get to heaven? Man, he beat around the bush. He's like, well, I believe in Jesus, and he's the Lord, but you know, there's... Other ways to Jesus, and it was so convoluted. There was so much confusion in what he said, nobody could have got anything out of it. Same question was asked of T.D. Jakes, and his answer was just as bad. And there are others out there. I won't go through all their names. But I want you to know something. That won't save anybody. It can make people... Joel Osteen has the largest church in our country. He's heaping to himself people that have itching ears. And he's willing to itch them. Now, I'm not saying that everybody that has a large church does that. That's not what I'm saying. But there are people that want to be pampered. There are people that want to be, to be made to feel better. But what they need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That all mankind are sinners. That because of our sin, we deserve death. And if we reject the, the, the gift of God through Jesus Christ that we will spend an eternity away from him in hell forever and ever. But God so loved his world, uh, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but of everlasting life. That if we believe in the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he, that, that he saved us, that his atonement was enough, if our faith is in him, we can be saved. Not in, not in a church, not in a group, that's what saves us. That's what will save the world. We need one who is willing to go in the wheat. We need laborers who are equipped to reap. And we need those who will gather the wheat. See, the guy, back in those days when they used scythes for this, they didn't just cut the wheat and leave it on the ground. Because wheat that's cut and lays on the ground spoils. They would cut it and they would catch it in their arm. And they'd cut more and they'd, until their arm was full, and then they would stack it. 
And, and they'd put it in rows. And then when it was all, now we have machines that do all this. But, but, but then they would come back and they would gather it up together. And they'd bind it together. And they'd take it to the storehouse. Guess what? The, the work isn't done until it's all the way in the storehouse. The work is not done just because we went out and cut the wheat down. They're convicted of sin, and yes, they believe. Listen, we, uh, we need to, 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 to disciple. We talked about this in Sunday school with, with Barnabas coming alongside Saul, and, and, and even though he was saved and he was preaching the truth of the gospel, uh, they sent him home. He did it in, 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 in Damascus, in Jerusalem, and the Jews wanted to kill him until they sent him home. And Barnabas came alongside and mentored him. Nobody got saved in those first few times he preached. They just hated him. But when the Spirit of God worked in him, he was mentored and strengthened and helped, and he matured as a Christian. God used him. Jesus speaking here to the disciples, he, he tells them of the harvest. He tells them of the, the need in the harvest, that there, that there are, it's ready to be harvested and there is a need. But we also see he directs them to seek supply. We see it there in verse 38. He says, pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. Now we're almost done. And I, uh, it won't be much longer. Uh, but but he, he, he told them to pray. Now the first thing he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Listen, the one who's going to provide for those laborers, come, it's got to be from God. You can't be mama sent. You can't be daddy sent. You can't send yourself. God's got to send you. But can I tell you, as a child of God, he has sent you. Now, he may not have sent you to, to, to Liberia or to Syria or to any other area. Uh, he, he, may, he, he may not have sent you to China or to Russia or to the Ukraine. But, but he's told you that where you're at, you're supposed to be sharing the gospel. And listen, he's not going to send you to Liberia or any of those other places until you're doing it here. But, but he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. To do that, you've got to see the need, and you've got to see that the Father is the one who will supply that need. And you've got to pray. Listen, we as, as children of God need to look outside of this place, get outside the walls of this place, see the need of the multitude around us, and pray to God that he would send somebody to tell them. We all have family that need to be saved. We all have friends or coworkers or people that we know that need Christ. Listen, they should be on your prayer list every single day that God would send somebody full of the Holy Spirit and full of the gospel to go and share that gospel with them so that they could be saved. It should be a prayer heavy upon your heart. We're, we're to appeal to God. It says that he would... That word that he would send, it means to propel. The laborers need to be propelled into his harvest. Notice that in the last part of the verse, his harvest. It's not your harvest. It's not my harvest. It's not the harvest of Fellowship Baptist Church. We're not trying to, to, to put notches in a belt. We're not trying to, to build up our church so that we have a, a, a big church and need a bigger building, though I pray that God does that. Listen, it is not our harvest. It is his harvest. Being his harvest, he has the greatest desire and the greatest ability to send out laborers. The last point is this. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. 
And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits, to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Then he names the twelve in the next several verses. Verse 5, he says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go, not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus saw the multitudes, and with compassion he was moved. And he looked at the disciples, and he says, Look at that harvest. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray that the, that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers forth into his harvest. And then in the very next chapter, in the next few verses, he says, you go. He told them to pray, and the answer to that prayer was he commissioned them to go. God has commissioned each and every one of us to get out there and to tell others about Jesus. We're to tell them in love. We're to share it in love. We're to, we're to seek the Spirit's leading and guidance. We're, we're to pray. There's much that needs to be done. But if we never go, if we never sow, nothing will ever be reaped. And much of that harvest that God desired to be reaped will be left to rot. John chapter 4, he says, he tells the disciples, after revealing to them the harvest, he tells them that, that they were to harvest where other men had labored. Now what a blessing it is to be able to to, to knock on somebody's door and see them get saved. That happens. Not nearly as much as I'd like it to happen, but that happens. What a blessing it is when somebody comes in and God's been working in the hearts, God's brought them to this place, and they hear the preaching of God's word, and they are convicted of their sin, and by faith they put their trust in Christ on that day. What a blessing. Somebody sowed, and somebody watered. And we got to reap the harvest. Here's my question for you. Have you sowed lately? Have you put in the work that needs to be done? Do you see the need? Yes, we all see the need in a, in a kind of step back. Somebody's got to go do it way, but do you see it as the call God's placed on your life? My prayer is that this message will encourage each and every one of us. Maybe uh, that some of us will, will take it to heart and start doing what God's called us to do. May God help us. Jesus, Jesus tells a parable of some men who were told to, he gave them some talents, money, and told them to occupy till I come. Well, we sang the song, Jesus is coming back. Coming again. It's kind of that slow waltz song. I won't dance. He is coming again. What's he, what's he going to find us busy about? All caught up on the, the latest whatever TV show you're watching? 
busy about business, putting away money for retirement, busy about things that aren't necessarily bad, but they take away your focus from what God's called you to do. Listen, Jesus traveled, Jesus walked, Jesus, Jesus healed, he did all those things, but his focus was souls. I almost preached the message this morning on uh, soul winning with Jesus. I, I found it interesting. Uh, there are, it's like 20 times in the book of, of, of Matthew that Jesus has one-on-one conversations with people when they come, they, they by faith trust in him. And in the book of, in the book of Mark, there's many. In the book of Luke, there's many. It's, the woman at the well is one. The next chapter, Jesus goes to the, to the pool of Bethsaida, and he steps over all these sick people, all these people that are waiting for a miracle, to walk over to one man, and he says, would you like to be healed? One person. After the feeding of the 5,000, he gets all the, all the disciples in a boat, and they take this, this boat ride across the, the, to the, the, the lake to, to get to the wild man of Gadara. And they're there, he casts the, the demons out, and they go back. One big trip for one man. One by one. I'm not expecting us to come back and say, 3,000 people got saved, this is great. God can do anything. But Jesus is interested in the individuals. One by one. One by one. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that your spirit would have your way with us. Lord, that you would help us to see not just the masses, but the individuals. Help us to see them through your eyes. Give us the compassion that we need to move us, to pray for them, and the ears to hear the command that we are to go. Lord, I pray that you would have your way with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.